Good morning. How's everybody doing? All right, not good. Here we go. All right, moving on. So next thing, next thing on the agenda while you're all doing bad. Um, hey, so before we jump into anything this morning, I want to just uh, remind you one more time uh, from, from the platform, this Wednesday night, we start our summer equip classes, and they're going to go for either two or three weeks. You can see it on the screen right now. We have three uh, incredible choices. Got a lot of people coming out to these. So if you haven't taken a chance to register yet, uh, go ahead and do that. It's just going to be a great uh, few weeks together walking through this stuff. So if you're uh, interested to learn a little bit more about it, you can go to the Connection Desk on the way out today. We have some cards that have some info on it there, um, or you can go on the app to register today. If you'd like, you can register at the Connection Desk, or you can go to the homepage of our website, see a slide that looks just like that, and you can register any time before Wednesday. All right, now, since you're also awake and lively this morning, we're going to start the time off today with a pop quiz. So uh, you didn't know you were getting that coming to church, but you are this morning. So uh, pop quiz for all of you, and, and I want you to think about this in your own head. I want you to get an answer for yourself and uh, just kind of store it in your head. So I want you to tell me who in the Bible, what person or who in the Bible said this quote, don't do anything to someone else that you would not want them to do to you. Don't do anything to someone else that you would not want them to do to you. Think about that. What would your, what's your answer there? I'd venture to say that for a lot of us, as we hear that quote, we think probably right off the top, yeah, I think that was Jesus in Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7. I think Jesus said that. If you uh, maybe are a little more familiar with the Bible, you, you may say uh, that was Jesus in Matthew 7, Sermon on the Mount. That was him teaching what we know as the golden rule. Uh, that's what Jesus taught there. Now, um, I didn't set you up for success. I set you up for failure because that quote that I just read actually is not in the Bible at all. I totally made it up, totally fabricated it, and, and I did that based off of the teachings of various religious leaders throughout history. Uh, teachers like Confucius, the, the, the Stoics, uh, various Jewish rabbis throughout history, the teachings of Buddhism also have something similar to that quote. That quote has been used throughout history by different moral kind of sages and, and, and leaders and things like that. Now, if you got that wrong, I will give you a C- minus for effort. C- minus for effort, so you don't go home a full uh, loss, but you get a little bit of credit. Because Jesus did say something uh, that was somewhat similar, had a similar flavor, if you will, to, to that quote. Uh, but, but what Jesus said, and, and what we're going to look at together this morning is vastly different from the quote that other religious leaders have used throughout history. And so I want to show you what I mean by that. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Matthew 7, and we're going to start in verse 12. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now, most of you are thinking, yeah, that has a similar sound to that first quote. It seems a little, uh, a little similar, kind of close to what we were talking about. Uh, but, but this quote, th this verse by Jesus, I want to show you this morning how it's vastly different from what uh, some of us may think the golden rule, which is what this is called, what the golden rule actually teaches. I think uh, we take an idea in our head, and we've heard it throughout history, that we shouldn't do things to other people that we don't want done to us. And, and that's not a bad teaching in and of itself. 
But Jesus here in Matthew chapter 7 is taking uh, what, what the golden, this golden rule, and he's taking what other uh, leaders would come after him and try to say, but he takes it to a whole different level. And I want to show you to start how what Jesus said in this verse in, in Matthew seven twelve is way different, actually harder for us, actually impossible for us to keep under our own, uh, our own strength and our own power. So I want to start by uh, going back to that first, first term again. Now, uh, that first quote that I use says, don't do anything to someone else that you would not want them to do to you. That quote there, if you look at how it's phrased and how it's written, is phrased in a negative form. And what I mean by a negative form is it basically says this. If you don't want someone, someone to do something to you, avoid those things in other people's lives. So uh, it's really a passive statement. You avoid doing things bad to other people that you don't want done to yourself. And, and practically it would sound like this. If you do not enjoy being robbed, don't rob others. If you don't like being cursed at, don't curse at others. If you don't like being hated, don't hate. If you don't like being slapped in the face, don't slap someone in the face. If you don't like being run over with a car, don't run somebody over with your car. It's fairly simple, right? It's a negative form. It means, hey, just avoid doing things to other people that you don't want done to you. It came full circle with me a couple of weeks ago, and I think this will probably apply. I was having dinner with a couple of friends at, at my house, and, and me and one of the guys were uh, sitting there talking about our teenage years and our early teenage years and uh, the mischief and the, just the garbage that we got into as kids. And so, uh, so I started to share with him a little bit about my history. Now, you probably wouldn't know this at all, maybe none of you. Uh, I was a miserable, miserable, just awful, terrible, terrible teenager. I was awful. I actually had to call my parents years later and just re remind them again, hey, I'm so sorry. I treated you like I did. I was a miserable kid. Um, I just, I excelled in causing mischief. I wreaked havoc all over the place. I didn't have a great reputation. That was kind of my life. And so, uh, so we were swapping a little bit of stories around what we did as teenagers. And uh, so, so a couple of mine were, hey, when we were kids, we would get uh, paintballs, if you're familiar with those, and we would go hide behind trees in the middle of the night, and we would throw them at cars as they came by and try to splash them all over the car and freak everybody out, which we did well. And so we did that. We would leave uh, little bags with foreign substances on people's doorsteps, things like that. We'd leave those around. We would be uh, the kids that would get up and, and come to your house in the middle of the night and ring your doorbell over and over and over again until you woke up, and then we would run away and, and act like you never saw us. And so that was what we did. Now, I was sharing these stories with my friend because I was thinking about this. I said, I told him, I said, man, if, if there was anyone who did that to me now, those things that I did, I would be furious, angry, just mad over someone doing that to me. If somebody uh, paint, threw paintballs at my car, I would be frustrated. If somebody left a flaming bag on my doorstep, I would be frustrated. If someone woke me up in the middle of the night or my wife, I would be super, super, super frustrated. And so I think that's applicable because now I look at that and say, I don't want that done to me. So I'm going to avoid doing that to someone else. Now, there are other reasons why I don't do that. I'm a grown man now, and that's usually frowned upon. And local pastors going to jail for these things never end well for your reputation in the community. So I try to avoid those things, but for the same reason, because it would infuriate me if someone did that to me. Right? So that's what this negative uh, form is, is kind of teaching. I don't want it done to me. I don't want to be woken up in the middle of the night. I don't want to scrub paint off the car. I need to avoid doing those things to other people now. And so... 
That, that type of teaching is, is not bad in and of itself. I think all of us would agree if we live that type of way, we would be uh, decently moral people. We may be well-respected in the community. People may look at us and, and like us more. They would, they would think well of us if we don't act uh, badly towards them. If we treated others um, and, and avoided the things that we don't want done to us, if we avoided them in other people's lives, people would think well of us. And what I want to show you, though, is how what Jesus said is vastly different. Because throughout history, what a lot of people have done has taken the golden rule in Matthew seven twelve, and they said, you see, Jesus is just like all of these other religious leaders throughout history. You see it, right? Because they all taught a similar thing. So he, he's just like these other people. He's a good moral teacher. Moral teacher. He has some good things to say. He's an, uh, he kind of sets the standard for ethics. He, Jesus has some really nice things to say. And if we would listen to what he uh, teaches, then we would be okay. But what they don't do is don't separate what Jesus actually said from what these other religious leaders said because Jesus is far greater than uh, some moral teacher. He's far greater than just some teacher on ethics. He has more to offer you and I than just that. And there may be some of you in the room today that maybe you come to church, you come and, and you, you like to hear because you like to hear some of the good things Jesus said, and, but maybe you don't actually believe that he was God in the flesh, Savior of mankind who laid down his life for you and I. But maybe you believe that he did have some good things to offer, and if we lived like he taught, then we would be better people for it. So what I want to show you is how in Matthew seven twelve Jesus actually takes it to another level. And don't you just, if you're a Christian, don't you just love how Jesus does that to you? When you think you have something figured out, you think you're kind of owning it, like, man, I'm really doing really well in this lane, we should go back to what Jesus taught and realize that while the world has this bar here, Jesus goes way up here. He sets this up to a standard that, for you and I, should seem impossible. Because here's what Jesus does in Matthew seven twelve. He spins this idea in a positive form. He spins this idea in a positive form. So it would practically uh, sound something like this. If you enjoy being loved, you should love others. If you like to receive things, you should give to others. If you like being appreciated, you should appreciate others. What Jesus is saying here is that everything in your life Everything in your life that is good, that is right, that is enjoyable, that is loving, every bit of uh, mercy that someone has shown you, every bit of grace that has been extended to you, every ounce of compassion done towards you, everything that is good and right in your life, all of those things, you should now do those things in the lives of other people. So where that first quote says that we should be passive and kind of sit back and don't be bad... Jesus says we are to be active and actually seek the good of other people. Do you see where that's different? So negative form just says we should avoid things. What Jesus teaches is that you and I are to be actively seeking the good of other people, actively in pursuit of the good and the blessing of other people. That's the type of people that Jesus wants us to become. Now, this should lead you to think this way. It's funny, I was talking with a friend this week, and we were talking about that difference, and, and we were talking about how, you know, I think we miss that sometimes, and what Jesus taught is incredibly difficult. What Jesus is teaching here for you, and I hope you feel this, should feel impossible for you. You should look at this and say, you know what, my life, maybe I don't spend my life pursuing the good of other people. Maybe I am a little more selfish than I want to realize. Maybe I do kind of look out for number one more than anything else. Maybe that's kind of who I am as a person. And I think in our sinfulness, that's who we all are, right? Every single one of us, that's our natural bent, to think about ourselves. And so when we read this verse from Jesus in Matthew seven twelve, we should feel our inability. 
You ought to feel the weight of your inability to keep what Jesus is teaching. How we consistently fail over and over and over to live this type of life. You should feel that. A friend that I was talking to said, man, if, if there's anybody that's actually living that out perfectly, I would love to meet them and ask them how they're doing it. And I said, man, I couldn't agree more because I don't know of anyone who is actually keeping this to the highest degree that we can. You and I each day have a tendency to wake up and, and think about ourselves primarily. You and I have that tendency to wake up each day and we are the center of the universe. We're the person that we care about the most. Um, our world kind of revolves around us. And, and if you don't agree, I'll kind of ask you a couple of questions. One, uh, so this week, tell me, just kind of think back to the past seven days. We won't go too long. Seven days. How many mornings did you wake up and the universe was not about you? How many mornings did you wake up and say, if you're married, you know what would really be awesome this morning? You know what would bless my heart? If I woke up early, an hour early, and I got up and I made breakfast for my wife, I cooked it for her, I got it all ready, I let her sleep in a little bit longer, and then I brought it in and brought breakfast in bed, and then I gave her a foot massage right after just to bless her, to let her know how much I love her, to serve her well. Men, if you're in the, probably didn't happen. I, I'm sure there's not one of us that did that this week, right? Or how many of you had that coworker that you really just can't stand at your office? And you thought, you know what would just be so awesome? Because of God's grace and his kindness and his, his mercy to me, I'm going to go pick up Starbucks and grab breakfast for this person to show them how much I appreciate them not loving me. I'm going to bless them. It's going to be a good thing. They're going to love me. I'm going to bless them so much. You don't think about that, right? This is us. This, this is me this week. I was thinking about that. I'm like, man, I wish my wife would get up an hour early and make me breakfast in bed and, and, and give me a foot massage so I could sleep in later and do all this for me. I would love that. Or, man, I would, maybe this is you if you have that coworker. I would love if they got transferred to another office across town because that would make my life way easier than if they were here. See, we, we tend to think about ourselves first and foremost. And maybe you're not that way all the time. But Jesus takes it from just being people who can be okay to people who need to be always looking out for the good that we can do in the lives of other people. So you should feel this inability. You should feel that this is impossible for you to keep on your own. Left to your own strength and power, this is impossible for us to live out. I wrestled with this text all week long. It's so short, it's so simple. And right now I think you probably in your head have a pretty good understanding about what Jesus taught. But I wrestled with it because of this. I can sit here intellectually and tell you about it all day long. But if I walk out on my own and I try to do this... I may be really good at nailing it for about 30 minutes. I have a really strong 30 minutes of really looking to other people's good above my own. I have a really a good 30 minutes to seek your good above mine, to really love you and serve you like Jesus. But after that 30 minutes, I flame out and I go back to myself. And so there's something going on where we can intellectually understand this text, but left to our own strength and power, we cannot keep it. If I walk out and I see this text and I try to be a good moral person and say, I'm going to have the willpower to do this, I guarantee you I will fail. I guarantee you if you walk out and say, I'm going to try my hardest this week. This week, this is the week, man. I'm going to live for other people. It's going down. This week, it's going to happen. I guarantee you you'll fail because you're going to work it out of your own strength and power. But where Jesus teaches something, there's always a way to accomplish it. What's impossible with man is not impossible with God. And so... 
I want to go and look and see, answer two simple questions the rest of our time. How is it possible for us to be these type of people that pursue, actively pursue the good of others? And then what does it look like in our lives? So uh, here's what I want to show you first. The golden rule is possible because of a loving father. The golden rule is possible because of a loving father. I want to show you what I mean. God enables us to be these type of people. If you have your Bibles, flip over to Philippians chapter 2 with me. And we'll put them on the screen as well. We're going to read Philippians 2, verses 3 through 8. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Does that kind of idea sound familiar to Matthew 7? This idea that as Christians we are to be people that see others as more significant than ourselves. As Christians, we are to be these people who see other people's needs as greater than our own needs. I was thinking about this this week. I have never once met the couple who was on the brink of divorce that walked into my office and said, we're we're done. I give up. I tap out. We're done with this. And I've never heard them answer this question with a yes. I'll ask them. Tell me this. Do you feel like you're a humble person? Do you feel like you seek your spouse's good above your own? Okay, you. Do you feel like you seek your spouse's good above your own? I've never heard both uh, spouses say yes and their marriage is falling apart. The answer is always no. Because marriages that are, are going to fail are ones that are marked by looking out for number one. She doesn't meet my needs. She doesn't do this for me. He doesn't do that uh, for me. Instead of the, the question being, how am I serving my spouse? And so it falls apart. Because a marriage is not supposed to be, hey, you are my servant. If anything, we're to be servant leaders in our homes. We're to serve our spouse as well, and I've never seen that. And so what Paul's teaching in Philippians chapter 2 is that for you and I as Christians, in everything that we do in life, we want to seek the good of others above ourselves. And it's not that we don't look out for ourselves, but Paul knows this. You and I don't have self-esteem issues. We have self-exaltation issues. We don't need to find a better us inside of us. We need to get away from ourselves and fix our eyes on God. We have no problem with thinking about ourselves first and foremost. We have a problem at looking outside of ourselves. And so Paul tells us that the place to start is this. He says it needs to start with the gospel. It needs to start with the gospel. Paul says this in Philippians 2, in that part we just read. He said that that type of mentality, this type of living is yours in Christ Jesus. It is yours in Christ Jesus. What does he mean there? He means that this lifestyle is possible for you to live. This golden rule type of lifestyle, this humility-driven lifestyle, this seeking others good above your own is possible because Jesus has done it for you. It starts with the gospel. This is not, uh, the golden rule is not just some moral text. This is God saying, because I have given you new life, I am making you a new person, you are now enabled to be the type of person who can look at others' needs first. That's the type of person you can be. And then he goes on to explain the cross. That Jesus was in heaven and and he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's what he did for you. And because Jesus has done that for you, that frees you up to be about you. 
And it changes us and can make us for the good of people. And so if you want to know what humility looks like, we, we don't have to look any farther than the example that Jesus laid for us. So think about it. What did he do? Jesus was king of the universe, ruling and reigning. Needed nothing. Needing absolutely nothing. Sufficient with the Father and the Spirit. Perfect in unity and harmony. And what does he do? He says, I'm not going to count equality with God a thing to be grasped. I'll step down and I'll take on this lowly form. So the king of heaven stepped down into our place. The king of the universe who had that perfect unity, unity with the Father, unity with the Spirit, perfect harmony in heaven, said, you know what? I'll come down to spend time with people who are going to mock me, betray me, and ridicule me. I will come down and I will lay my life down for my friends. And so if you and I want to be people that live this life, we need to look to our King Jesus who laid it down before us. Think about this for a minute. Get this picture in your head. It blew my mind this week thinking about this. Jesus, the night before he was going to be killed, he was going to go die for the sins of every person who would ever believe in him. He's going to die a brutal death when he didn't deserve. The night before he does it, what does he do? He has dinner with his disciples. They're celebrating uh, the Passover. He institutes communion, and he's sitting around the table, and they're sharing this last meal together, and he's preparing them for his departure. He knows he's about to leave. And you have this night, the night before Jesus is going to go to his death, and the night before he does that, how do you think he should have been treated by his disciples? They should have treated him like royalty. They have the, the king of the universe, God's son, in their presence with them. And he is about to lay his life down for them. And this is the last night they're going to have. They should have given him royal treatment. He should have been uh, regarded above anything else. Everything should have been about him in that moment. But what does Jesus do the night before? He is going to lay his life down for their sin in their place, being betrayed by them. What does he do? He steps down and he washes their feet. We see this idea of washing their feet as just some, oh, this is cute, this is sweet, oh, it's humility. We're talking about the king of the universe who's about to go suffer the wrath of God in their place. And instead of standing there saying, why don't you guys come serve me? Why don't you guys come do something for me? Why don't you treat me a little bit better on my last night? What does he do? He says, I'm going to wash your feet. I'm going to leave an example for you. I'm going to serve you humbly. I'm going to give myself to you on this last night. And this is the type of humility that Jesus offers. And so if you and I want to know what a humble lifestyle, seeking the good of others looks like, we simply need to look at Jesus' example for us. We need to look at his own work in our lives because that's what's enabled us to be different to begin with. His death for us in our place, that exchange the righteous for the unrighteous has made you and I brand new people and it should shift our hearts outward. And so it starts, this type of life starts with the gospel. The next thing you need to see is that this type of life is sustained by the Father. It is sustained by the Father. Uh, you and I, when we read our Bibles, if we're not careful, we can read them in a, in a wrong way. And let me explain what I mean. There's a way to take a couple of passages of Scripture and kind of pull them out, cherry pick it, and not fully understand what the Bible is teaching. We do that by we read a few verses, we don't know what comes before it, and we don't know what comes after it. And so we lose the context of what's happening in a story if we don't know the 
the full story. It's like opening up to a novel and you flip to the middle and say, oh, okay, that was a good story. You don't do that. You, you read it at the front and you read it at the end and you see what's happening. And so this is the same way when it comes to Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to take you back to that original verse that we're at. This verse, and I want you to see it as I read in just a second, verse 12 starts with the word in my translation, so. Uh, in, in your translation, if you're using a KJV, NKJV, a few other translations use the word therefore. Now, this is cheesy and really lame, but it's super helpful. If you ever see the word therefore, you should slow down and ask what it's there for. Get it? All right. So you're going to ask what it's there for. Simple little cheesy trick, but it'll help you to understand that what went before it implies what comes after it. And so our verse here, verse 12, starts with the word therefore or so. So that means you and I need to go back and read what happened before it. So let's go back to verse 11, which Peter preached on last week. Let's read 11 and 12 together. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. This is very important. Don't miss this. Jesus is saying that because of God's fatherhood for you, God's provision, his care, his love, his mercy, his giving you good gifts, him giving you everything you need. Because God is a good father who meets the needs of his children, because he is that for you, therefore, you can be this type of person who lives out the golden rule and lives for the good of other people. It's only because of the tender heart of God, the mercy of God, the goodness of God towards you that you can do this. And this is why this eliminates this from being some moral text, because God is not saying, hey, if you can act well and, and love others well, then I'll, you can be my follower. He's saying, because I am a good father, I've invited you into a relationship. I sustain you if you ask me. Because that's true, now you have the ability to go and live for others. Jesus is connecting that, God's fatherhood. He's saying that the fruit of us being children of a gracious and good father is the ability to live for others. So our ability to do this is sustained by God. Now what that means for us is a lot of us, when we see this type of life that Jesus wants us to live, kind of rubs us the wrong way. A lot of us think, I was talking with somebody after the 8.30 that confessed that. This, a lot of us think that, man, if, if, I, if I'm sacrificially living for other people, who's going to meet my needs? What, what, what if I need something? Who's going to be there for me? What if I get made fun of for living this way? What if somebody thinks I'm a little weird for seeking out their good? Or, or what if there's really no joy for this? I, you know, I'm, I'm only on this earth for a little bit of time, so surely I should seek my own good and have fun and live it up and, and do whatever. So surely there's no joy for living for others sacrificially. And so what we begin to do is we question what God has laid out for us. Because if God's your provider, then you don't have to question if God is your sustainer, you don't have to question. If God is your joy, you don't have to question that. But when we don't lean into God as our provider, sustainer, and good father, then we're, gonna, we're not going to live that type of lifestyle. It's, it's kind of like this when we call things into question. Uh, my mom, when I was younger, I, well, I had great parents. Both my parents are absolutely awesome. Um, my, I have an older brother. Him and I never once had to question my parents' provision for us. We never had to question their provision. We never had to question their love for us. We knew they loved us above anything else. And they were awesome, awesome parents. 
while we knew that mom and dad were always taking care of us, there was one moment in time, and it kind of came up reoccurringly, that we would always call into question their goodness for us. Every now and then, my mom would get a wild hair to make a dish that she called salmon stew. All right, salmon stew. We referred to it as death stew. Death stew, and here's why. I'm convinced, I was convinced, and I'm still on the fence about it today, that that stew that she would make when she would cook this meal, that there was fish bones in this stuff. And there was fish eyes. I was, we were convinced there were eyeballs floating around in the stew. And we're kids, so we're freaking out. But there, we, we're convinced that there's something in there that wasn't good. And so, so we never had any reason to question mom and dad's goodness and care and provision for us. But when death stew made its way onto the table, we said, I don't think they love us like we think they do. They're, they're, they don't have our best intentions in mind here. And I feel like that's a silly way to get there, but I feel like that's how we question God at times. We can, we can believe God for good things in our life. We, we believe what God says. But oftentimes we can call into question his provision when he tells us to go and do something we don't want to do. We call into question his provision. Well, does he really know what's best for me? Does he really have my best um, intentions in mind? Does he really uh, want my joy? Is he for me? Does he love me? And we'll begin to call that into question whenever we see a verse like this. Well, I need to sacrificially lay my life down. We call into question God's provision for us and his mercy for us and his goodness for us. But what Jesus is saying is that because God is your father, because he sustains you, he loves you, he cares for you, you can be the type of person who lives to actively seek the good of other people. So what does this look like in life? What does this actually look like lived out? Here's Here's what I say. The golden rule demands the great commission. The golden rule demands the Great Commission. Here's what I mean by this. When we understand our inability to do this, but we understand that because God has enabled us through his son Jesus to live this type of way, that implies something for you and me. By God's strength, by God's power, he has given us a mission to do. And so uh, you and I, when we read the golden rule, that should mean something for us. And, And like I've said from the beginning, living out the golden rule is more than just being a good person. It's more than just being a sweet person, more than just being a nice person, more than just uh, kind of having a good reputation in life. There's so much more uh, to the golden rule than that. The golden rule demands something greater than itself, and it demands the Great Commission. And, and here's what I mean by that. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, Jesus is spending, right before he ascends to the heaven, he's already resurrected from the dead. He's spending his kind of final moments commissioning his disciples. He's about to ascend up to heaven, and he says, Go, therefore... Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm going to be with you always to the end of the age. And so the commission, ever since Jesus ascended into heaven until now, has been, go therefore, church, you, me, go therefore, make disciples of all nations. What he's saying is there, is a, uh, there are nations, there is a world that is dying daily apart from the knowledge and saving faith in Jesus Christ. There is a world that is lost and dying around you. And my means to get the good news of my death and resurrection is through you. Through the church. That's how we're going to make disciples. And so he's saying go. How do we do that? That's where the golden rule comes into play. I believe there's two things that you and I can look at. Uh, One, the golden rule means that we actively seek the good of others for the glory of God. We actively seek the good of others for the glory of God. And we've touched on this already. 
But do you know what happens when you begin to live a type of life that you are actively seeking the good of others? People begin to to question what is wrong with you, in a good way, hopefully. What is wrong with you? When you're the type of person who is actively seeking the good, the welfare, and, and, and is marked by compassion for other people, that is not natural for the world that is consistently thinking on themselves. And this could go for physical things, meeting physical needs, but this also goes when people are hurting, when people need compassion, when the world uh, kind of tosses people down and out. This means that you and I are to be the people that show compassion and mercy. This means for you and I, when injustice happens and, and you have a dying, crying world around you that is in pain, we seek their good. We embrace them and say, there is a God in heaven who loves you. There's a God in heaven who, who loves you, who wants a relationship with you, and you can look at it through Jesus. This means that we are going to be people that don't look to our own good all the time. We're going to look at the good of others. We're going to actively seek their, their good for the glory of God. And so as we live out this great commission, part of how we get there is through actively seeking their good. It's how we love people. It's how we serve people. It's how we care for people. It's what matters. And that opens up the next part of the conversation which you and I need to actively share the gospel for the hope of people. You and I need to actively share the gospel for the hope of people. Have you ever heard this quote before? Uh, there's, a, there's a quote that gets popular at times. Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Ever heard this quote? Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary. All right. I want to course correct that a little bit for us. That's like me telling you, call me at all times, and if necessary, Use digits. You have to use the digits to call me, right? Preaching the gospel is never just done through action. The actions help us to get there. The gospel is news to be heralded. The gospel is news to be spoken. It's an announcement to be made. Jesus was called the Word, the word came in flesh and dwelt among us. So, so the gospel message is not just here, here's a cold glass of water, have a good day. The message is here's your glass of water. Let me tell you about the God of the universe who has changed my life and made me this person. Let me tell you about his son, Jesus. When you and I live out the Great Commission, we, we need to live out the greatest good for people. The greatest good that someone needs is to hear about Jesus because the reality is people are dying apart from him every day. And so, yes and amen, we, we seek out the good of others through acts of service, through kindness and compassion. But it doesn't end there. It ends with a message of why we live this way. Because we're not just good people who like to do sweet and good things. We are people who need hope and grace and purpose. And God has given us that through his son. And he's changed our lives. I want you to think about this for a minute. Who, at one point in your life, you're a Christian right now, who is the person or people that shared the gospel with you for the first time? Who is that person? Think back. Who's the person that very first introduced you to Jesus and his work in your place? Think back. Was it a parent? Was it a pastor of some sort? A coworker? A neighbor? A friend? grandparent, who was it, that first introduced you to God's Son? How grateful are you that they came to you with that news? 
I will never forget personally the guys that shared the gospel with me for the first time. I was a, I already told you a little bit about my teenage struggles. For lack of better terms, I was not an awesome guy to be around. It wasn't very fun. There's a group of guys that started to come around me in my life, and they started to invest into me, and they started to invite me into things that I should have never been invited into. They were all Christians. And they just said, hey, man, we just, we just want to get to know you. We just want to know your story. We want to know about you. And so they started asking questions, started to get to know me some, and just began to care about me. And I started to think, man, something's different about these guys. Something's unique about these guys. They were seeking my good above their own. And then they started to tell me about this man, Jesus, and how he could change my life. And they started telling me about how Jesus had changed their life, which is why they seek my good, because God had changed their life. And I'll never forget those guys, still some of my best friends to this day, changed my life. And I am so eternally, eternally grateful for the moment that these guys said, you know what? I'm going to share God's son with this man, with this punk teenager. And God wrecked and changed my life. And so for you, who was that person that shared it with you? How grateful are you that they did? And what does that mean for us? If we're going to be people who seek the good of others above anything else, what is the greatest good we could do? There's a dying and lost world who needs hope. People need hope so much right now. You see it every day. You turn on the news for two and a half minutes. There's a world that needs hope. The gospel is not just a message that we tuck in like a secret. The gospel is a message we shout to the nations. So what are you doing with it? Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much uh, for your word for your mercy, your, your compassion, your grace towards us, Father. And we just thank you for your word, that it changes us, that it will not leave us where we are, that you come in and just wreck our lives. And God, I just, just want to ask that you would help show us our inability right now. And God, would you help us to feel the weight of that? But, but more than that, would you help us to see your grace and how it is sufficient for us So God, I want to ask that you would just change our hearts. Make us more like you every single day, Father. We love you and we thank you in Christ's name. Amen.